Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Braverman. And I'm Ellen Selm. And welcome to our podcast, Stories from the Earth, where we explore mankind's relationship and connection with the natural world. We'd like to take a quick moment to invite our listeners to consider supporting us through a humble little donation. Go to our anchor page and click the support button. And there are options to donate to $1, $5, or $10. The donations will go towards helping us with future projects such as launching an herbal education curriculum we've dubbed the People's Herb School, a program designed with affordability and accessibility in mind, as well as funding to help us take this show on the road and do some on-site reviews and interviews or farms, schools, and other interesting places relevant to our show's timeline Hmm. and theme. Another way you could support this is if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a rating and a review if you uh, like what you hear. Today, we're going to be talking with Patricia Howell. She's a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild, founder and teacher of Botanologos School of Herbal Studies in Georgia, herbalist in residence of the Fox Fire Museum and Heritage Center, and author of the book, Medicinal Plants of the Southern Appalachians. Thank you, Patricia, for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. This is exciting to be with you in this new project you have going. Can you tell us a little about yourself and describe how you got interested in herbalism? Like what, what sparked the interest? Why did you become what? an herbalist? <laughs> um, you know, it's been a lifelong interest, to be honest. Um, I remember beginning to try to learn to identify plants and figure out their uses when I was 15 or 16 years old. I grew up in northern Illinois, um, near the Wisconsin state line on Lake Michigan. And... Um, you know, I was just sort of amazed by flowers. And then I, to be honest, I think I was reading something like Little House on the Prairie, and they were talking about making a tea out of yarrow. And and I knew what yarrow was, and it just blew my mind. I, it never occurred to me that a plant that grew by me had medicinal uses, you know? I mean, just the, when those two pieces connected in my brain, it was like, what? And, um, and at that point in time, the only herb book that I could find, and really I think the only one that was being marketed commercially on any large scale was uh, Return to Eden by Jethro Kloss. I don't know if you know that, that book. It was published in the 1930s. It's a very heroic kind of herbal book. But I got a, a copy of that and I started, you know, making things and learning how to do teas. I mean, I never made tinctures, but I made teas and syrups and things like that. I had a couple younger sisters. I experimented on them extensively. It just became a hobby, you know, that something that I was always looking for books and trying to learn about plants and went off and did other things. Went to college to be basically a filmmaker. Ended up working in the music business in San Francisco for many years. And then I just all of a sudden decided this is not for me. And I went to, I took a class with David Hoffman in San Francisco. It was so wonderful and he was so smart and it was just so exciting to hear somebody like explain all these things. I mean, he was teaching at the California School of Herbal Studies and they had a program that was starting in two months, a year long training program. And I was living in Oakland. I just basically went back, sublet my apartment, took my life savings, and moved up to uh, Forestville, California, and started studying full-time. So that's the short answer to a lot of adventures. (laughs) 
I love Little House on the Prairie. I love those books. But I, I, know. I, I've got to look for the part where like the Yarrow happens now. Yeah, I couldn't tell you where it was, but I just remember like going, what? How could this be? So, What was the first herb you felt you really connected to and why? Yarrow. Yarrow. Not exactly for what I said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, because it was, it never occurred to me that you could go pick a plant in the wild and make a tea out of it and drink it. You know, neither of my parents, you know, knew a thing about plants, maybe tomatoes, tomato plants that they grew. So, you know, it was just so exotic and so magical to think about it. Now, I didn't care for yarrow when I made the tea. I think I probably made it so strong. <laughs> that um, nobody would have ever wanted to drink it. But that was the first time that I sort of like took an herb into my body and felt what it felt like. Yeah. The intention was all in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just that relationship started. It's like plants are something you can trust was sort of how I interpret it. What was your favorite part of your herbal education? I know you mentioned you went to the school out in California, but if you've had adventures along the way, maybe there's something else that stands out or? Well, I mean, the experience there was phenomenal. It was a year long program. The thing that I, that caught my interest the most was wild crafting and making medicines out of wild plants. That was really, and working in the garden there. So just being able to go out someplace and even if you didn't know exactly what the plant was, but you knew the plant family or you knew what, you know, just once all of that was unlocked for me, it was just like being out in the woods, being out in nature was just so exciting and full of discovery. So that was really electrifying for me having that experience. And, you know, Cal Northern California is full of medicinal herbs, kind of like here in, in the Southern Appalachians, you know, there's a lot of plants. Yeah, so I would say that, and that was my main interest was wild plants, making medicines, and not so much the clinical application. Just the hand, the hands-on with the plants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I'm a, I'm a really kind of, my, my father and my grandfather were both chefs and they had a fine dining restaurant. So I grew up with this food sensibility and we're Greek. So Greek cuisine uses a lot of wild greens, not that they were going out and collecting wild greens, but they were cooking with greens and making things like spanikopita and, and, you know, that kind of thing. So Medicine making was kind of like cooking, just felt like, oh, this is doable, right? It probably helped that yeah. you, from a young age through them, developed a little more of a palate for greens than other young people might do. <laughs> and bitter, and bitters, <laughs> and bitters, you know, because that's one of the things a lot of people struggle with when they start working with herbs is that we're not used to tasting bitter things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On your journey... Was there an herbalist who really inspired and supported you along your path? Do you have anyone who you consider an herbal mentor? Definitely. I mean, well, you know, I started with David, who was, you know, a remarkable teacher and somebody that I'm still in touch with. But I moved back to Illinois after I finished herb school. And one day my cousin came over to my house and he said, uh, you know, I had a million herbs and 
you know, the usual jars and things everywhere, right? You know the picture. And my cousin came over and he said, you know what? Your house smells just like my acupuncturist's office. <laughs> and I said, oh, I have to go see your acupuncturist because I didn't really know of anybody there who did anything with plants. She was in Chicago. And so I made an appointment and I went, had an appointment. And her name is Althea Northage-Orr. And uh, she's an acupuncturist herbalist who's practiced in Chicago for a very long time. And when I went in the treatment room and we started talking, I never did get acupuncture that day because we started talking about herbs. What became clear is that she was this really brilliant clinician. You know, it's like somebody could come in and she would look at them and she could like assess them and do a treatment and brew up an herb formula for them and just had amazing success. But she didn't know an herb unless it was in a jar with a label on it, right? It, it, it didn't, ex you know, it could have been growing right outside her door. She wouldn't have known what it was. And I had the opposite. You know, I knew all the plants, all the medicines. But if somebody asked me for help, I'd be like, uh, chamomile? You know, it's like, <laughs> what do you do? So because we were both kind of entrepreneurs, we decided to start an herb training program in Chicago. Oh, nice. And she would teach the clinical and I would teach the medicine making and the field botany. And basically what we were doing, we didn't tell anybody this, but what we were doing is getting our students to pay for us to teach each other. <laughs> because, because she really wanted to know what I knew and I really wanted to know what she knew. And um, so this way we got paid to listen to each other. She was really instrumental. That's where I learned traditional Chinese medicine, working with her. Um, she, she was my uh, clinical supervisor for about seven years when I was starting to practice. Uh, we taught together for about six years. After we taught in Chicago for a number of years, I wanted to move to Atlanta. So we, we started the, the same program both places, which was totally insane because I would fly to Chicago one weekend a month and she would fly to Atlanta one weekend a month. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And we did that for about three years and then oh. we both just got so burned out. We just split the business. She took Chicago. I took Atlanta, but Althea Northajor was probably the person who shaped me as an herbalist more than anyone else. Yeah. Is she still practicing in Chicago now? She is. She is. Anybody yeah. We're uh, there's listening. Go, go check. Her yeah, out. yeah. Yeah. She's uh, Chicago center for psychophysical healing is her business there. She's on the North side on Devon and um, yeah, we're still very close friends and you know, it was, it was a, a life changing meeting. Nice. Yeah. This is kind of a, let your creativity flow sort of question. Like what, okay. is your, what is your idea of who an herbalist is and like what an herbalist does? Like what role does that serve in our day and age? Oh, just a simple question. Huh, it's a Ellen? simple one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's no wrong answers so. though. Oh, thank you. Thanks for that reassurance. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know that there is, I mean, I, I, you know, an herbalist is somebody who knows how, knows how to use plants for healing is like the simple answer. But, you know, in my work as a teacher and as a mentor for many years, I'm just always amazed at all the ways people make it their own. And I really think that herbalism is a calling. You know, I don't think it's a job because 
I would say everyone that I've ever met who considered themselves an herbalist, it had a lot to do with their life purpose. It wasn't like, oh, let me get a job being an herbalist. It, like I have a friend who went to chiropractic school and she was horrified because, um, oh, somebody's trying to get your, is that a dog there? Yeah. <laughs> he, won't, he won't get on my lap so he's just gonna sit there and wave at me come on <laughs> what a cutie oh, oh yeah he wants, to be... wants to be on screen right today he does that's, that's how they are i'm always amazed at how everybody who answers that call does it in their own way it's very individual and i've been mentoring now for about six or seven years um, i work with about 10 people at a time and basically i work with them one-on-one -on -one, you know wherever they're at like they're just starting to see clients or they're seeing clients or they want to present cases or whatever they want to do and every single one of them has their own angle on on how they use herbs how they think about them and so it's just such a diverse way of being in the world. And I remember the first day of class with Hoffman, he came in and he wrote on the board, nothing I say is true. <laughs> I think of that all the time because, you know, herbalism is an art. I mean, there's a scientific component, obviously, but ultimately it's like cooking. You know, you have your own relationship, like you asking me about what plant, you get your little array of plant allies and that's your posse. You know, you guys are all doing everything together and it's different for everyone. That individuality of herbalism, I think is one of the things that's most beautiful about the whole idea of practicing kind of herbal like it, medicine. If it, it's getting expressed through the herbalist, so it ends up with everybody's exactly. own little flair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no. That's it. Exactly. It's funny because that was sort of the part of the original idea behind the podcast is to talk to different herbalists to see how different ways to be an herbalist. Mm. Be, because I felt like I wanted to know and I felt like it wasn't getting talked about or like there wasn't, there needed to be just more ch talking about it. <laughs> I don't know how to put that, but um, so that's. And looking at it from a lot of different angles, right? Yeah. Because it's holistic, right? So, um, you know, there's not just one dimension. You know, there's all these, there's the plants, there's the medicines, there's the health, you know, there's the healing paradigm that a person works with. Um, yeah, it's it's very rich. It's I very think that can be reassuring to sort of hear that too, especially from someone like you who has years of experience in both practice and teaching that you know anybody who could be new starting out and probably especially around here because we're a little more saturated around here than maybe than maybe even chicago was i don't know but like oh yeah definitely. i think consequently you you might have people who end up with a little imposter syndrome and maybe think like oh i'll never really be a good herbalist because look at all of these people and and so to hear you say like no everybody puts their own sort of their own little stamp on it then it's like okay well yeah there's go forward and find out the way that it speaks through you. Yeah, it's very nice. Well, and it's a living thing, you know, it's a living tradition. So, you know, I sometimes sort of envision a line of herbalists stretching off into the mists of time and that, you know, here I am 
like taking that wisdom, taking that information, making it my own, altering it, you know, shaping it in a way that makes sense to me. And then I'm passing it on to my students and then they're taking it and they're doing that with it as well. So um, it's such, it's not a fixed thing. And, you know, look at, you know, what we've gone through in the last two years with COVID. I was looking at David Hoffman's medical herbalism book because I was planning a talk and, you know, he's talking about the immune system and like there's this little section on viral infections. The whole world is different now. You know, how we think about herbs, what our priorities are, it's all been changed. All of that that went before in 2019, you know, Jennifer, when you were in my classes, it was like, that's that's another world that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, you know, we're in we're in a hard place here. So I'm not like saying, isn't this cool? We get to think <laughs> of new ways to use herbs. But I, I'm just saying, you know, the the dynamic quality of herbs and herbalism is really showing its face now because yeah. herbalism is transforming as our health issues change. It gets to uh, evolve with the times as needed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who had said it. This, but something about like in different ages, different health. There's a a main like health complaint. I mean, I guess a couple of years ago, everyone had. We have a lot of anxiety, so there's a lot of like. And that's all gone now. Well, no, it's not all <laughs> gone now. But I mean, before. <laughs> But it was it was like a it was like a a, a more of a, a large complaint of more people had this issue and then maybe in like the past there was another yeah no I agree um, with you and it, it might have been even you that said this I can't remember when well class. I do say something in my classes where I say you know a hundred years ago we would have been really looking at like infections that people got in a wound or you know if you were injured in some way or if you got a cold or a flu it's like people could taken out by pneumonia all the time and <clears throat> when i was thinking about that initially i was just looking at how much stress was a chief complaint of people who came to see me that they experienced excessive stress and the stress was having a negative impact on their health and so you know, what we were doing mostly was managing stress. And then that's where, you know, all the adaptogens came in to be such a big transformative influence on our materia medica, because they addressed the impact of stress in a way that kept people from going down the tubes. Yeah. It's like they were always there just waiting for their moment in the spotlight. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're 15 minutes. Yep, yeah. Yep. Oh, and now it's over. Okay. Any virals now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we still need the adaptions. <laughs> yeah. No, there's still plenty of demand. Well, you know, you probably, you both probably saw what happened, you know, when COVID first started and you couldn't even get herbs, you know, you, it was, you know, yeah. it was really I, challenging I, last in 2020. So it was really funny because everyone was buying like, um, I don't know, toilet paper. And, stuff, and I was trying to buy herbs. <laughs> you might be an herbalist. I might. You're showing tendencies. I've got tendencies. some symptoms. Yeah. You got an herb for that? <laughs> many, many. Oh. <laughs> so what 
is your favorite aspect about being an herbalist? Well, today it would be hard. I would be hard pressed because I was working on my website. That's oh. probably my least favorite thing about being an well, herbalist. Well, I do actually yeah. have that question next. <laughs> what's my least favorite? Okay. Uh, what's the hardest thing about being an herbalist? Mm -hmm. so, um, but I'll do the positive and then the negative. Well, you know, I mean, just having that relationship with plants is a foundation of my spiritual self. So that really grounds me and restores me. And I live, you know, in a pretty wild place where there's a lot of wilderness. So, you know, I can escape easily into the woods and be around all of that energy. That is really kind of like the, the main line for my mental and physical and spiritual well-being. Sometimes I do feel frustrated by, you know, even this is even pre-COVID, you know, in order to support yourself doing this work, you have to be very creative. <laughs> and I feel like I spend way too much time sitting at a desk, preparing lectures. You know, I mean, I have a great assistant who works for me, who does all the financial billing and things like that. But just all the planning that goes into teaching sometimes really drags me down. I am like hopeful that I'm going to win a lottery ticket or something. Of course, I would probably have to buy the ticket in order for that to be the case, which I have not done yet. Yeah. I mean, if I if I had independent means and somebody was supporting me financially, I probably would either hire somebody to do all those things or not do them at all. I also wish it was a little easier to be an herbalist, especially with from the finance financial standpoint. I mm -hmm. wish I could just, you know, pop into college and learn herbalism and practice had uh, more meaning in our society in that sense. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's it. Exactly what you're saying, Ellen, is that, you know, if somebody goes to school to be an RN, they they're guaranteed kind of a certain amount of income, you know, it's like, it's a job, you can go get it somewhere, you know, but when you finish herb school, you're still on your own, you know, it's like, there's no place to go apply for a job or even if you decided I want to see clients and help people, how do you even let people know that you exist? It's a slow, slow process. Yeah. That requires, like you said, a lot of uh, constant creativity to produce what you got to do to keep it rolling. I mean, that's, that's entrepreneurship in general, but yeah. 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 But I think it's kind of, a, uh, almost like a poster child for entrepreneurism is being an herbalist. Yeah, which is yeah. interesting because I, I mean, most yeah. herbalists I think have the skills yeah. that are not are not entrepreneurs. Or that they, you know, they're coming at things from a, a different angle, and it's almost like you have to take herbalism and a business class at the same time. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate. You're like, I just want to play with the plants. I don't want to. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, I definitely know of people who think of themselves as herbalists who don't have a website, but have live in a community where they're recognized as mm -hmm. being the person that people can go to. I don't know that any of them makes a living doing that themselves. You know, they have other means of support. For me now, so much of my teaching for the last two years has been online. Just a girl with a computer now, and that's all there is to it. You get to be at home. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, I have an office in town. Oh, but, um, right. I mean, and I work my own hours and all that. So 
that's the upside. But I guess doing classes just only on the computer and and I think we've talked about this you know herbalism is such a hands-on component yeah that, um, you know kind of miss some of that you miss all of it actually yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I know and it is frustrating as a teacher you know to just talk about plants in these very abstract ways because in my programs pre-covid you know we would talk about plants and then we would go out in the woods for three hours and we would look at those plants and then we'd come back and talk about them again. And, and so it was, you could put a face to the conversation. That's not happening now. So, but I have great hopes for 2022. 2022. Yeah. <laughs> and 2023 and 2024. Forward. <laughs> Only upward forward from here. Yeah. Tell us about Botanologo School of Herbal Studies. You've already explained that you've had to temporarily at least stop doing classes in person, sadly. Mm -hmm. so you've um, addressed these concerns by moving things more online. But but yeah, just tell us a little bit about the school and did you ever think that you were gonna become a teacher? Like what's, what's a favorite thing about being a teacher? Ah, okay, well, that's a good one. Well, you know, when I was in college, if I had to like read a paper that I wrote or stand up in front of the class, I was just a mess. You know, I was just like, oh, my God, you know, people are looking at me, you know, it would just I would be tongue tied and sweating and a mess. But when I started talking to people about herbs, it was almost like all that disappeared. I was like, I don't have time for that. I need to tell these people about plants. This is so important. And and one of the things that I marvel at is that. I have absolutely no anxiety about doing that, about talking in front of groups of people, because I just feel like that's my job is to connect these people with these plants and make that connection happen. That really takes away anything that, that would be fear inducing or anxiety producing for me. Okay, so that's kind of how I became a teacher is because I really just wanted to get people excited about plants. But when Althea and I split the business, I was living in Atlanta. We would take our students to the mountains uh, like two weekends out of the program to look at plants. So I um, decided to move to the mountains and let the students, because I felt like I had, I'd been in Atlanta for five years and I felt like people would follow me. That was my, my plan was to get a little bit of a reputation. And, you know, I kind of chose Georgia because of the Southern Appalachians and because in 1992, 93, there were absolutely nobody teaching herb classes anywhere to be found. You know, I did like, you know, I checked Asheville. I checked all these places. It was like nothing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go take Georgia. So when Althea and I split the school, I think a year later, I moved to the mountains and moved the school and then changed it. We used to be called Living with Herbs Institute. And then I changed it to Botanologos, which is the word in Greek that means somebody who knows about plants. So that's where that name comes from. Just one program to begin with, and now it's expanded with a lot of other teachers. Um, we have people coming who do plant walks, people who do just standalone workshops, um, medicine-making classes, all under the umbrella of the school. So some of those are like smaller, shorter things outside yeah. of your main uh, longer curriculum? Okay. Exactly, yeah. And I just wanted to say 
that I went to Patricia's school, so everybody knows. And Guilty. Both, <laughs> yeah. And me and Ellen both took uh, some of her shorter classes at the Organic Grower School conference that is here in Asheville twice a year. She's a fantastic teacher, mm. one of the best. Thank you, <laughs> You're Jennifer. You're um, <laughs> it's interesting to have a school that long and to see all, what your students do. You know, I think of herbalism sometimes as amnesia recovery because it's like somewhere in our lineage were other herbalists. Cause if we, if there weren't herbalists, we wouldn't be alive because somebody knew how to fix, fix a broken leg or make a baby born or, you know, whatever it needed to be done using plants. It's always interesting to see how people sort of begin to uh, tap into that intuitive ancestral knowing. And then again, what they do with it. You know, whether they start growing plants or making medicines or, you know, like we have the whole project and I don't take credit for this, but in, in Atlanta, we have the herb bus and uh, we have a, a foot clinic that uses herbal uh, preparations at one of the homeless shelters. Um, and now there's an herb bike and an herb cart. And a lot of my students, after they finish the program, start volunteering there to provide herbs for free to underserved communities in Atlanta. That's kind of like the satellite clinic for the program. Like a lot of cool examples all in one place of some of the ways that people are like, mm -hmm. finding ways to yeah. get it out there, get it out there. And yeah. I really, really wanted to, to participate. It sounded very, very cool, very heavy in medicine making. And then just, of course, the application. Yeah, they're, they're super organized. In fact, I'm going to just do a little plug for them because if you go to Herbalista, Herbalist with an A.org, what they've done, and Lorna Moni Brodek is one of our teachers, a former student, a good friend of mine, um, was the founder of Herbalista. And on there, they have just an amazing amount of herbal resources, like forms that you can use to figure out your tincture formulas or your menstruum ratios. And if you become a supporter and pay $5 a month, they have this other whole section that you can access. It's impressive what they've got up there in terms of really practical information. I'll put a link. For the Good, that would be wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You work both with uh, traditional Chinese medicine and Western herbalism systems. What, in your opinion, is sort of maybe the main difference between these two systems? And how well do they work together? And is there a system of herbalism that you prefer? Okay. I know, you, I know you use both of them and kind of combine them. Yeah. Yeah. In a very schizophrenic way. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, when I studied at the California school, it was very much a Western herbalism approach, using herbs in the context of body systems. So you learned about all the body systems, then you learned about what herbs have an affinity for that body system. And then you look at different diseases that affect the lungs, affect the gastrointestinal tract, and then what are the herbs that would that would address that. And when I started practicing, I was sort of using that approach. You know, I would talk to people, try to figure out like what body system is struggling, what do I need to do to support it? I just felt like it was a very limited approach. There was so much going on with people. And Jennifer, you and I were talking earlier about the importance of making the body-mind connection, especially with chronic health issues. And so I would see people and I would notice that there was this whole dimension or this whole pattern that they were presenting 
that I didn't even really know how to describe, but I was seeing it. I didn't know how to integrate into what I was doing with the herbs. I met this herbalist. Well, actually, it was even before I met Althea. I met this woman, and she was an herbalist in, in Manhattan. Uh, you did Chinese medicine, uh, Chinese herbalism, and traditional Chinese medicine, rather. And um, she, so she was asking me how I what my approach was. And I said, well, you know, I kind of a Western herbal body systems approach. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean you're sorry to hear that? What does that mean? And then when I started working with Althea and I learned about the five elements and I learned about the way, and there's a lot about traditional Chinese medicine that I will never know. You know, it's a very, I mean, it's a huge lineage of information. The whole idea that there's patterns of people's personality that can also be, be out of balance when a certain body system is. So when they're having digestive system problems, they have trouble taking in and integrating information. You know, that those pieces go together. And when you see one, you usually see the other. And the whole idea of seasonal rhythms at different times of year, different health issues would be significant and that needed to be sort of integrated into the approach. It's like, what season is it? What do we need to prioritize during winter? That sort of thing. And um, when I learned all of that, it was like I had been seeing it, but I didn't have a language for talking about it. And when I started studying five elements, it was like, oh, my God, thank you. Somebody else figured all this out, you know? <laughs> And then I was kind of mad that I hadn't known it. And I felt sort of bad for some of the clients I'd worked with that if I had known about that approach, I felt like I could have helped them more than I did. You know, my approach to herbalism is it integrates both. I really do try to use regional herbs, but I there are some Chinese herbs like peony and bupleurum that I just feel like are so critical. You know, I do use those kind of plants in my work. I try to use whatever I can find around here first, whenever possible. I think that that whole story kind of illustrates a point that some people get confused about. Some people kind of just equate anything that's like natural medicine, homeopathy, TCM, herbalism, et cetera, et cetera, as being holistic. But they don't necessarily understand that the, the word holistic is talking about a bigger picture approach, right? So if you're really maybe hardline Western herbalism, you start to fall closer into that Western medicine mindset of point at the thing. It feels like this, you do this thing and voila, you're better yeah. instead of looking at that, that bigger picture and how one it's a domino effect. And so yeah, that kind of introduced that. that yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I do think that one thing that we all struggle with living in the United States is that, you know, we're one of the few countries where herbalism isn't recognized as a legitimate form of healing. And so I see a lot of people, and I think I did this myself for many years in my practice, I tried to mimic mm. the way a, a conventional medical doctor would, would deal with a client. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because I didn't want to freak them out. And it was so outside their experience to begin with that you know, I wanted them to feel safe and that it was not too woo-woo and crazy. I think we're constricted by that in the, in the United States, which I don't see when I go to other countries. I see people being able to be a little more freeform 
with how they practice. Or it's like if you were, if you said, oh, I'm just going to pop around to the herbalist, somebody wouldn't be like, the what? Right. <laughs> like people would understand. Yeah. I would love to go to another country and see that in action. I feel like because of the nature of herbalism and how it is in this relationship with the plants and the, it almost has to function differently than Western medicine. But I don't have a clear sense of, even though like I've used herbs and I've seen herbalists and I've used acupuncture and I go to an acupuncture, I'm very familiar. I, I feel like I don't have a good sense of what that kind of looks like in like culturally speaking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're, you know, working with one hand tied behind our back and, you know, in 30 years, the, this is um, okay. So the first year that I practiced as an herbalist, and I was living with one of my relatives in Illinois, so I didn't have to pay rent and I could, you know, mooch off of him and make very little money. I went to the tax person to have her do my taxes. And, you know, she looked at my sorry state of affairs and she said, I'm going to give you some free advice. And I said, okay. And she said, this is like, we're talking 1991. She goes, herbalism was a fad and it has peaked and you need to find another thing to do for a living because it's over. You know, it's, you missed the boat. <laughs> Tell that to, you know, thousands of years ago ancestors. <laughs> yeah. And, and it made me so mad. I was like, yeah, I'll show you, you know? <laughs> and I think of her often because, you know, here I am 30 years later. I don't know that it's a get rich quick scheme, but I have many, many good things about, my life as a result of my work. It wasn't a bad idea and it certainly wasn't a fad that had passed its time, right? We're all like, nope. You know, like seeing it grow in our lifetimes alone. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, for as many faults as sometimes, you know, technology and the internet has, it has its good points too, obviously, like we're being able to do this right now. But like, exactly. I think the, the ability to spread and share information as such as probably been more helpful than not to the movement. I'd like to think so. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I would say so too. And that and that has been the mixed blessing of COVID, right? Is that, you know, I have students now from all over the country. I actually have friends all over the world that I'm more in touch with now than I was before because everybody's really eager to talk to each other, you know, and interact yeah. as much as possible. What inspires you most about plants and the natural world? You know, you were talking about going out in the woods and just how that's such an important part of your your practice and your well-being. So, like, maybe what about that is inspiring you? Well, I mean, I think one of the things I love um, about living someplace where the plants that I'm already in love with are here is seeing them move through the season knowing that this is where this plant grows and like going there in March and like looking in the leaf litter and seeing if there's any sign of them yet. And then watching things come out of the ground and they're so lush and green and, you know, just watching them through their whole cycle of growth. There's something about that that just fascinates me. I never get tired of like watching and waiting for it and just admiring the, the beauty of plants. I have this picture I took for some of my relatives. I made a herbal calendar 
um, for them, you know, where I put my pictures that I've taken. I have these amazing pictures that I took of the leaves of sassafras just emerging. And it's just this amazing geometrical, brilliant green thing that you would never know when you saw sassafras fully leafed out that that was one of the stages that it went through. Yeah. That visual observation to me is just so riveting and seductive. You know, I can't get enough of it. I do feel this time of year a little bit of a relief that they're all gone. It's like, oh, I can think about something else now. <laughs> a little relaxation time. So I wrote this book that Jennifer's holding up, Medicinal Plants of the Southern Appalachians. I published it in 2006. I had this friend. She grew all her own food and everything, but she never learned about plants that were medicinal around here. And so I thought, I need to write this down for Linda. You know, I need to, you know, she could figure this out. If I do a good enough job of describing everything, I really kind of just wrote it as like, here's a gift because I know this and you don't, and it's your heritage. And I want you to have this. That was like the inspiration to write the book. As I was working on it, I got contacted by the University of Georgia and they wanted to know if they could have first look at the book. They wanted to publish it. So when I finished it, I sent it to them and they looked at it and they said, well, there are scientific citations for the things you talk about. Can you provide those so we can publish your book? There wasn't. You know, there, there isn't. There's nothing about jewelweed. There's no research on that. It made me really mad. And I took the book back and I pouted for about six months. And then I took a workshop about how to do self-publishing and I self-published it. The guy that I studied with to learn about self-publishing showed me this way of doing it where I basically had to form a publishing company a print on demand company. Anyway, it you know, I don't have to do anything. They print it and it if the bookstores can order it and it's still selling really, really well um, all these years later. I wish it had pictures in it. I think about redoing it, but for now it's what it is. First of all, it sort of blew my mind when you said when you wrote it because I had just learned about it, I think, when I moved back home to North Carolina and 2014 and i was like oh my gosh somebody finally wrote a, a book about southern appalachian medicinals it's like oh and here you're like oh no it's been out and i'm like oh I'm, i miss it but <laughs> the self-publishing it took a little while to tr trickle out there but now i think yeah i mean I, I don't know of anybody around here that i mean anybody that wants to talk herbalism around here about it. that is the book about southern appalachian medicinals so you kind of gotta have it you know like I, I'm almost flabbergasted as much as this region is so biodiversely prolific that that there weren't more books about it. But but thank you for providing sure. it because sure. it was much needed. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you know that Corey Pine Shane just had a book come out that is beautifully done. It's on Southeast medicinal herbs. Okay. And it um, has like he it. all his own photography in it. I just got a copy. I don't have one. I don't have it right here. Uh, it's really nice, put out by Timber Press. One of the differences in his book and what I wrote is um, my the books, the plants that I included are only natives. Hmm. 
Um, so I didn't include any naturalized plants, you know, something like dandelion or chickweed or, yeah. So I kept yeah. it. I was very strict. Um, whereas like Corey Pine's book, he talks about, you know, red clover and, you know, a lot of plants that are European uh, natives that, that are introduced here. Yeah, it was really um, funny. I was like, I was like, there's no chickweed in here. <laughs> It was interesting to to do that research and figure out like what were the plants. Yeah, but I I do like that. You know, it's good to know what sort of came over from, I guess Europe, and then yeah. what was more I guess more originally just here. What advice would you give to any budding fellow plant nerds, herbalists, ecologists, permaculturists, and so forth? Go crazy, you know, just <laughs> go for it. I think the alienation from nature fuels a lot of imbalances that we see around us, you know, mental, spiritually, physically. You know, I think anything we can do to help people feel at home on the planet contributes to them wanting to work to save it and to living lighter on the planet. You know, I mean, I, th I think to myself, I mean, I'm not practicing clinically anymore, but you know, when people came to me, my ultimate goal was to get them hooked up with nature and that that was a place they were comfortable. And, you know, everything else was just lure, things to lure them in and get them interested. Because I really do think that when people feel part of the rhythm of the earth and the web of life, then they behave completely differently. That's my sinister motive. So do you have any new and exciting ventures com coming up you'd like to share with everyone? I'm partnering up with Mimi Hernandez to do some intermediate level online classes. We did one last year that was on the body systems. Then starting in January, we're doing one that we call the art of the intake. So the skills that you need to do a good health history and how to ask questions and, you know, how to present recommendations in a way that doesn't overwhelm people and, you know, that it happens in a non-hierarchical way of working with someone. Because I see a lot of people really struggle with that. It's like, well, yeah, they, they want to do that, but how do you do it? Exactly. So that's kind of exciting. It feels like a little niche that isn't being filled. So that starts in January. And then my regular herb program starts in February. I'm hoping to be able to maybe go back to Greece. I have a tour company and I take people to the island of Crete, wow. usually every spring, but I haven't been there since 2019. I, I'm very hopeful to be able at some point to be starting to do that again because it's one of my most favorite things to do but i don't know when that's gonna happen again does that sort of venture of yours have a, a name and a website and stuff we should share uh, it does it's well yeah it's you know there's not a lot of information on it because we're not doing anything but it's called wild creek travel okay is the name of it more more we're using the facebook page right now um just to you know, talk about things. I wouldn't take people out of the country right now. I think it would be silly because things are shutting down and opening up and I wouldn't want to get stuck in a foreign country with, with 15 people, you know, who don't speak Greek. So <laughs> is the um, information about all the classes on your website? It is. Yeah. We okay. just opened the registration last Friday. Awesome. Thank you for asking. I think you're right. You know, you've got all the beginner herb classes, but then there's sort of 
where do you go from there? Yes. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with us today. It was super awesome. (laughs) Well, you guys, you guys made me think here tonight with all these great questions, you know, all these things I never really sit down and go, what do I think about that? So um, very thought provoking. I think you have a, I think you have a calling for this kind of work. Um, So I wish you the best in this podcast that you're doing. This is really cool. And you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Look forward to um, hearing what else you come up with with future things. So I'd like to thank everyone listening. And um, we'll put all of Patricia's links in the show notes and the description. You can follow us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We have a Facebook group, a YouTube channel, and we're on Instagram. All the links are below. And this will be our last episode for the calendar year of 2021. So please stay tuned for when we regroup in 2022 with more great stories from the earth. So thanks, everyone. Yay. Bye. Bye. Bye.